Just a reminder of our change in uh, Bible class and worship. If you if you thought this is worship, great. Uh, that um, you'll get to hear Bible class this morning, and then we'll have worship here in uh, about an hour. But it's good to see all of, all of you here. Uh, we're studying the book of Genesis. And uh, if you want, we're just going to pick up uh, bits and pieces from Genesis 12. If you want to turn over there, just uh, mainly today we're going to cover Genesis 14 through 17. I am going to move fast again today, just to give you warning. Although when Hiram says he's going fast, it's a little faster than what um, a North Alabama boy can go fast. So... um, We'll go fast for a North Alabama boy, I guess you could say. But because of that, I decided, well, I'll just give you uh, my notes. And so uh, there's a couple pages here, front and back. And if you haven't picked up one just yet, if you'll raise your hand, we've got some lovely assistants uh, uh, passing them out, and uh, they'll get you one. So I don't know... Uh, I heard something on the radio, something about New Year's resolutions, um, that this past week was the number one week that people already stopped their New New Year's resolutions. Now, if you haven't started yours just yet, you're good. You still have time. But today we're going to look at a topic where there's a resolution, and it's eternal resolution. In other words, a covenant, a commitment. And uh, we talk about in our world covenants and commitments. Um, We may even call them contracts. Uh, At your job, you may have a contract. Some people honor those, some people don't. I take them pretty seriously. And um, and they're commitments. Um, Today we're going to look at an overall topic. The number one thing we're looking at today is God's commitment to Abraham. Now, a couple of interesting things. God made a commitment to Noah. And what was the sign of that commitment uh, to Noah that God said he would do? The rainbow. Okay. So God made a commitment uh, to Abraham. Just out of curiosity, what's the sign that God did on his commitment to Abraham? Anybody know? What's that? Okay, he would make him uh, father of many nations. But what was what did God do to show Abraham I'm making this commitment? Not the rainbow. So we'll we'll dive into it. I was not aware of it till I studied for this lesson. I, I I've read it several times, but I was not aware of it. It's it's really a miracle. That God performed, and we don't uh, cover it too much, but we'll cover it today. Uh, We'll try to get there. So let's just dive in. Uh, In Genesis chapter 12, um, I put on the notes here. I just wanted to, I'm not trying to go back on um, what Hiram talked about, but there's just an interesting tidbit that I wanted to cover from Genesis 12. Uh, um, Hiram covered mainly 13 and uh, 12 and 13, but in verse 27, Terah, uh, when he was 70 years old, fathered, and, and I'm not 
perfect at names. So if I mispronounce the name, y'all just bear with me. But he was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So those were the three sons. Now notice how old he was when he was he fathered them. He was 70. All right. I'm just putting that in context. Later, when we talk about Abraham, Sarah, and, and Isaac, um, sometimes uh, Abraham even laughs and falls on his face to God. And later, Sarah, uh, who becomes Sarah, um, she laughed um, because they were, uh, Sarah was uh, 90. And Abram, or Abraham, uh, later was um, basically 100, 99 when they talked about it. Um, and so they laughed. But Abram's own father was 70 when he fathered uh, those three. So there were three boys. So Haran died after fathering Lot. We, we talked a little bit about Lot, so I just wanted to touch back about that. Why did Lot travel with Abram? Well, the fact was is that his dad passed away. And because his dad passed away, no doubt, Abram there became close to Lot. And so when God called Abram to leave his family, leave his uh, kindred and country, he took, uh, or Lot went with him um, and uh, as they went. But also a little tidbit, so then that left two boys, Abram and Nahor. So Nahor stayed back. Abram left. God called him and Abram left. Now why am I bringing that up? Uh, Nahor, we're told that Abram and Nahor took wives, Sarai and Milcah. Okay, well Milcah might ring a bell to you. Um, and that's why I'm bringing it up. So you hadn't... Uh, Nahor and Milcah uh, that were basically the brother and sister-in-law of Abram. Well, they stayed back. And if you're looking for kid names, here's here's a couple for you. Uz and Buzz. I mean, wouldn't that be cool sons' names, Uz and Buzz? But um, they had Uz, Buzz. uh, Verse 20 says, Kimuel, uh, Chased, Hazo, Pils... Ash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Well, the last one, Bethuel, is special because Bethuel was the father of Rebekah. Ah, we've heard Rebekah's name before. Okay, so we're putting this um, in perspective. Later, in a couple weeks, we're going to deal with chapter 24, and it'll talk about Isaac and Rebekah. So remember... Abram wants him to go back uh, when they're looking for a son, for I, I mean a wife for, for Isaac. He says go back all the way to basically Ur uh, to where I left and take a uh, wife or he sends a servant to find a wife uh, for Isaac. And what they end up uh, doing is uh, Rebecca marries Isaac. Now, just putting this in context, um, Rebecca then is the granddaughter of Abram's brother. Okay? So uh, basically, Abram, he has his brother and sister in law. They had quite a few sons. The youngest one 
had a daughter, and that daughter's name was Rebecca, and that's who uh, they end up marrying over over uh, time. Now, <clears throat> another little tidbit I just wanted to say. Some of this is on geography, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we don't put things together with the New Testament. And uh, so Abram grew up in Ur. Now, where in the world is Ur? If you, if you look it up in modern times right now, you've heard of Kuwait and Iraq. It's basically somewhere right there around the border of those two, the best I can tell, is, is somewhere around there. And so it's near the Persian Gulf. And then so you have the Persian Gulf over here that kind of comes up, and we've heard through the wars and all that of, of that uh, Persian Gulf. And so Abram was over there. And where does he travel? He travels up and then down. And um, he goes to the promised land that God's going to tell him. Well, where did he travel up? He traveled up all the way to around where Syria and Turkey, modern Syria and modern Turkey is, around that way. And then they come down toward the Mediterranean Sea, toward that area. between You have the Mediterranean Sea and then the Jordan River. And he comes down that uh, direction all the way uh, to Bethel. Uh, area. Now, why am I talking about that? Why did he go up and down? Well, between the Persian Gulf and the Jordan River is what? Desert. What? Which desert? Arabian Desert. So, you, you've seen pictures of it. I've never been over there, but you've seen pictures of it, but it's a big desert. So, it makes sense why Abraham went up, because if he's leaving and Traveling, he's not going to travel through the desert. You know, they didn't have gas stations back then where he could buy a bottle of water. Um, and if he's having his camels and donkeys and that. So they travel up where there's, there's water and there's people and all that. And then they come down. Well, why does that make a difference? Well, where did Jesus grow up? Uh, Bethlehem and and. Uh, uh, we have all the New Testament world is taking place right there in the promised land that Abraham's now going to travel through and see. And he basically travels through all this area. And why does that make a difference? Well, last week when Hiram was talking about um, there was strife between Abraham and Lot, well, they get together on a mountain. And they basically say, okay, look at it. Lot, you take your pick. Well, what did Lot choose? All right, what was green and colorful and what was that area, though? We know it's around Sodom and Gomorrah, but the area was a valley, and it was what valley? The Jordan Valley, okay? Well, why is this making sense? Okay, later on when Jesus is teaching and, and preaching and John the Baptist is even baptizing, it's all in that area. Okay, so I'm just trying to put it together for us that that's, that's where this is. So when Abram's up on top of this mountain and he says, hey, we're going to 
divide up, um, you have Lot there that looks and he sees this area that's all green and plentiful. And so he does that. Uh, he sends that. But my whole point in this is man's logic is always not the same as God's logic. So a little bit more geography lesson for you. So in chapter 12, verse 10, Hiram touched on last week that there's a famine in the land. So where did he go? He went to Egypt. So just geography lesson. Where is Egypt? Well, if you follow the uh, promised land and you go down, follow basically the Mediterranean Sea, um, off of that, you have the Jordan River that goes from Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. Basically, they went down toward Egypt all the way where it's green and plentiful. Now, sometimes we don't think Egypt as green and plentiful, but what river is there? The Nile River, but there's also some other rivers. There, there's the brook of e- Egypt. Um, and basically, when God's giving this uh, land to, the, to Abram here in a little bit, we're going to see that he basically gives him all the way down to this brook uh, of Egypt. But Egypt was green and plentiful. Uh, if you've seen the... the uh, What's the my pillow guy do these commercials, and he he's plugging uh, Giza cotton uh, from Egypt. Basically, there's there's plentiful green uh, land there that can grow cotton, and that's what it takes uh, to do that. You can grow along Tennessee River, you can grow it some other places, but it takes water, it takes uh, plentiful land. So. That comes into play because even later in Genesis, who else, when there's a famine, goes down to Egypt? Joseph and his family, they go down uh, to the same thing. Why am I making that that point? Well, a little bit later, we're going to see what was green and plentiful. The Jordan Valley, we're told, was green and plentiful just like uh, Egypt. And we're even told it was like the garden of the Lord, basically like the garden of Eden. It's green and plentiful. That was this um, valley. Now look at chapter 13. One other little uh, point I'm going to mention in verse 10. So, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. In the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Next couple weeks, we're going, well, next week we'll see what does he mean by great sinners of the Lord. Um, in this day and time, we need to keep that in mind. Even here. Uh, there was a reason why God said that they were great sinners before the Lord. Uh, it's uh, because of several things going on. Some of that was this uh, sexual wickedness of uh, bisexual behavior, homosexual behavior, but just 
everybody's sleeping with everybody. Um, and that was uh, this great sinners against the Lord. But keep in mind, Lot looked at this. And sometimes in our world, we look at what makes sense. Well, what made sense to Lot? Well, if you're telling me where I need to live and my herdsmen are fighting with your herdsmen, I'll go to where it's green, where, where it is. And that's where Lot was, um, was drawn to. Now, we're not going to dive in there, but here uh, next week, chapter 19, I'll just put them down here, verses 24 and 25, when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that he even destroyed what was on the ground. He even destroyed that green that was on, on the ground at, at that time. So <clears throat> Lot made a choice. And sometimes in our life, we look at what's, what makes sense, business sense, and what makes uh, sense to man. But what we see throughout the Bible over and over is that blessings, um, man's logic is not always what God's logic is. So look at verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all that the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be uh, counted. So he, he basically says, I'm going to bless you. So where do God's, where do blessings come from? From God. And so Lot chose what, you know, makes logic sense for a herdsman. Hey, I'll go where it's green. Abraham is around some of the mountains. He, he eventually goes down toward Bethlehem, uh, that general direction. The reason why I'm saying Bethlehem, Bethel is near, somewhat near that area. But uh, it's a little bit rougher country but Abraham chooses that but the blessings that Abraham has have nothing to do with whether or not it's green or not it's because he's with God and we need to get that here in 2023 sometimes we think we've got to help God out with the blessings um, and we have to go with this and we have to go with what kind of makes sense what we find throughout this is God blesses Abraham because Abraham's with him. And we have to get that. So this lesson, as we go through there and we start looking at that, in 2023, we've got to get that if we want, God wants to bless us, we don't have to help him out. Lot tried to help him out. Abraham and Sarah, will see, tried to help God out. But God uh, tells Abraham later on, we'll see this verse. It's a key verse that if you want to be with me, walk straight and upright and basically be with me because I want to bless you. I've made a commitment to you and I want to bless you. And I think the same thing is for us. 
we'll see that this covenant is an everlasting covenant. And so it's with us as well. And so this covenant, if we want to be blessed, we have to be with God. Now the other measure of this is sometimes blessings, we get indoctrinated in the United States and we think blessings are all about money and things. And it's not all about money and things. That's not what blessings are about. Um, if you, you know this. Because sometimes you've had money and things and they create headaches for you. And struggles with you. And it's not all about those money and things. It's, it's about being with God. Okay. Let's get in chapter 14. We'll pick up speed here. So in chapter 14, I'll, I'll do a summary, and we've said that we can't uh, go verse by verse here, but just a summary of chapter 14, there's these four kings, we're told right in the beginning there, that make war with five kings in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. In that area where Lot is, there's five kings in that area. There's these four kings that decide to come in, they make war with them. Look at verses 11 and 12. Of chapter 14. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Sometimes we forget that. So Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, and then we find out here that he's living in Sodom, but he gets captured. These four kings, they come in and they attack and they basically take possession of all the people, all the possessions, and they go on. Well, there's one guy that gets free. Isn't there always one? Uh, but verse 13, then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel and Aner. These were allies of Abram. Notice verse 14. This is, uh, if you like movies about battles and things, you'll, you'll like this. Uh, verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants. And defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. So, we already said that there's Sea of Galilee, Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. Abram's down there kind of west of the Dead Sea. Lots up there in the Jordan Valley where Solomon and Gomorrah. Well, Abram hears about this. And he takes 318 men. Remember, there's four kings, and they've taken everybody. Big army. But he takes 318 men, trained men. They go up, and they pursue these kings. And they end up pursuing them up to Damascus, which is north of, like, uh, Sea of Galilee. So he, he takes them pretty good ways. And he attacks them at night. He divides up his army. He t divides up that 318 trained men, Navy SEALs or whatever you want to call them, and they go in and they attack them at night. 
And we see that strategy later, but they, they uh, attack him. He takes back Lot and all his people and all the possessions that were Sodom and Gomorrah. He brings them back and he gives them back to the people uh, in Sodom and um, Gomorrah area in that general area. So why am I even bringing that up? Look at verse 18. Well, 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedor Lama, I don't, I don't even know how to say that name, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, hey, I've heard that name before. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So basically he offers them a tenth of all things. Abram later turns it down and says, Hey, you just, we'll only take the food and things that my men, my 318 men have used. We'll take that. We'll, we'll take payment for that. But we're going to leave your ten percent. But why am I mentioning all this? We'll turn over Hebrews 7 if you'd like. Well, let, we don't have time to go into it, but let me just sum it up. First part of Hebrews 7, they tell the same story. And they talk about Melchizedek. Later, in the second part of Hebrews 7, we're told that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, why, why was that mean anything? Notice back in Genesis 14, verse 18. So as Abram's coming back, there's this Melchizedek. And notice he's king of Salem, but he was priest of God Most High. Now this is in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, not directly Sodom and Gomorrah, because he's king of Salem which is in that general area, but not in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he was a priest of God Most High. They worshiped the one true God. But notice he was king and priest. So later in the New Testament, when we're taught about Jesus, Jesus is our king, but he's also our high priest. And that's what Hebrews 7 is talking about there. So... I couldn't just gloss over chapter 14 without bringing that little point out because it's brought up in the New Testament in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 7. Any questions about chapter 14? I, I, I know I went real quick on it. I, I, it could be interesting. Uh, you know, what, what's neat when you go back and read the Old Testament and you're familiar with the New Testament you see these things that pop out and one of the things we see throughout the Old Testament is there's types and antitypes in other words a lot of similarities a lot of themes in the Old Testament that you see in the New Testament we're going to see that what does that tell us well God had this plan and he had it figured out long before and it wasn't just this plan of Old Testament New Testament what it tells us is he's got a plan for you and I. And this promise we'll see is this eternal promise. So we, we need to keep in mind this is God eternal and his infinite wisdom that doesn't see time the way we see time. 
and he has this eternal plan for us. And so it's all the more reason for us to, to lock, latch in uh, to him. All right, let's dive in. Uh, our time's going by quick, but let's look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, after all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Notice the first thing he tells him. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So Abram just snuck in at night and defeated these four kings. And he brought back, and he basically was offered a 10% reward. He turned it down. He, you know, he might be worried that these kings pursue him again. So, and he turned down a big reward. So what does God tell Abram right off the bat? Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. It's powerful words that God tells Abraham right there. So, notice is Abram's response. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram's saying, I hear you, God. You say you're going to make me a great nation. You say you're going to bless me, but I still don't have a child. And my heir is this Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, his second in command, because he doesn't have a son, uh, that's the closest thing he has to heir. And he's basically asking God, is, is this how I'm going to be blessed? Is this how I'm going to be a man of uh, great nations? Is it, is it through Eliezer? Notice uh, verse 3. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then uh, he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Notice Abram's response. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God's telling Abram again a second time now. He told him chapter 12, or pardon me, chapter 14, I'm going to bless you, make your name great. He says, I still don't have an heir. He reminds him, I'm going to uh, do it, and it's going to be how? Your very own son. So he tells him that. So Abram's already tried to help God out. Think, well, it's through this Damascus guy. No, it's going to be your very own son. So Abraham believed him, uh, we're told. All right. Let's jump down to verse 8. So here's, I asked you at the beginning, how did God show this commitment to Abram? Notice what happens here. But he said, verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each other half against the other. 
but he did not cut the birds in the half. When birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So there is this tradition that when people were going to make a commitment, they would take all, uh, these animals, cut them in half, lay half over here, half over there, and the two men that were making a commitment would walk through between these two halves, and it was a symbol. We're going to go through this, and we are committed to each other, and there's death over here and death over here. In other words, if we break this covenant, may it be to us just like what happened to these. We're going to die. In other words, we're not going to break this covenant. We pass through with half over here and half over there. So God's making a covenant to Abram. Notice what happens here. So verse 13, well, verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. So it's, it's black, dark, and God causes Abram uh, to have a sleep. But, verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What is he talking about there? When they had to go down to Egypt, when Joseph and the 12 brothers were told later here in a little bit, it's 12 princes, when they had to go down to Egypt, um, and then later they served there, but then they were uh, servants there for 400 years. God is telling Abram, You're going, your offspring will be uh, down there for 400 years. Let's keep going. Verse 17, if you didn't know this, just highlight, because it's, it's a very neat uh, passage. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, Abram. So how did God show Abram I made a covenant? Here's these carcasses, half on this side, half on this side. What does God do? He has a smoking fire pot passed between in a flaming torch. I've never caught that before. Isn't that a cool miracle? But it's this covenant, it's this covenant of um, God making this commitment to Abraham, and he has this smoking fire pot that travels between these carcasses in this flaming torch that travels before and it's this sign to Abram I'm making a commitment to you and I'm, I'm going to do it um, so what was that commitment uh, let's see I'm trying. verse 18 to your offspring I give this land and he tells them what that land's going to be from the river of Egypt remember we talked about that to the great river the river of Euphrates, and he goes through the land. So he tells them, you know, he's, he's, Abram's left his family and kindred. He's been traveling around. He went all the way down to Egypt during the famine. Now he's back up, and he's saying, okay, God, you tell me this. How do, how, what do I know? So you tell me my nation's going to be great, but I don't have any kids yet. He tells them, you're going to have a son. And here he, he tells them with the covenant 
you're going to have this land. So he tells them the borders of the land that he's going to have uh, uh, for that. Um, isn't that a, a neat uh, description there? I've never caught that, but uh, I hope um, you did. Any question about 15? I know that's quick, about 10 minutes there in chapter 15. So let's go 16. 16 is going to be even quicker here. So chapter 16, notice at the beginning. So Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So here we go. It's a little later. Abram's now... Around 85, 86-ish, around uh, that time. And the reason why I say that is because when Ishmael was born to Hagar, it says that Abram was 86. So somewhere in that time frame is where we're talking about. So here's Abram and Sarah. Now, Sarah was uh, about nine years younger than Abram. So that would put her, what, 76-ish? Uh, 76, 77, so she's getting on up there, and Abram's on up there, and so they're thinking, okay, this thing hadn't happened yet. So, it's going to be his own son. Well, is that apparent? Sarah's thinking, apparently that's not going to be through me. Notice what she says, verse 2, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, and she, she puts it on God. She blames God for this. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So, basically we're told, verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with content on her mistress. Um, Sarah said to Abram, Abram, verse 5, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. And Sarah uh, dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So they think they're going to help God out, have a son through through uh, Sarah's servant. But Sarah gets upset with her, sends her out. So knows verse seven. Here, here Hiram, here's a uh, boy. This is a jewel uh, coming up here. I'm like, man, this will preach. Um, so verse, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on its way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeting from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So here's... Lady Hagar, she's she's been sent away. She just she's distraught. Um, you know, Sarah and Abram apparently have tried to have kids for quite a while, and then Abram goes in to Hagar, and it happens just like that. 
and she's um, she uh, is pregnant, but she's sent away, so she's by herself here. What does God do? He sends an angel to comfort uh, Hagar. So look at um, verse 13. This is the jewel. Mark, highlight this passage. When you're down and you think you're the only one and nobody else cares about you and you're by yourself, turn to Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Wow, isn't that cool? Here's Hagar thinking she's by herself. And she sees, okay, God sent this angel to comfort me. And what was her response? She said, she prays to God and says to God, you are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him, talking about God, who looks after me. If you wonder if you're by yourself, God looks after you. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. And Hagar saw that right then and said that right there. If you don't get anything out of the lesson, boy, take, take, uh, take that. All right. We have, uh, let me cover chapter 17 real quick. I, that's a jewel right there. But chapter 17, there's another jewel. So how did God react? This is about um, quite a bit later. Abram's 99, Sarah's 90. Notice verse 1. The Lord said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God tells Abram, quit trying to help me out. You walk blameless before me. Do what you're supposed to do, basically. Uh, walk before me. He's saying, I'm God Almighty. I created everything. I'm, I'm in charge. You walk before me blameless. And what, what will happen to you? God's saying, so I can honor my covenant that I made with you. Um, that's the verse. That's another key verse for us to learn. God tells us, if we will walk before him and be blameless, then God will bless us. He will honor that covenant. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after through the generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. What is he talking about there when he says everlasting covenant? What is he foretelling of? Jesus, exactly. And that covenant is going to be an everlasting covenant. Now, real quickly, uh, starting around verse 10, not 9 and 10. Abram asks, uh, I mean God asks Abram now to make a sign of, covenant, of this commitment. And what's that sign he asked him? To be uh, circumcised and everybody in his household uh, to be uh, sac uh, circumcised. Verse 15. Well, after that, God says, uh, "There, Abram, your name's now no longer Abram. You're going to be Abraham. Verse 15, he tells him, 
Sarah, not call her name Sarah, but Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I think that's a cool name. It means princess. Isn't Sarah a princess? Uh, those of y'all don't know know her, you need to go meet uh, Sarah there as a princess. But what's neat about this is he tells them, verse 20, he shall father 12 princes, and I'll make him a great nation. So he tells them. Uh, that you're going to have a son, and that son's going to father 12 princes. And and that what uh, comes uh, to place there? So uh, what's Abraham's response? Um, He falls down on his face, verse 17, and laughs and says, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90, bear a child? Uh, and he questions him, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. So he, he's again trying to push Ishmael there. Is that who's promised? He says, no, you're going to have a son, and he's going to father 12 princes. In verse 21, whom Sarah shall uh, bear to you this, this time next year. He tells him this time next year you're going to have uh, this son. So what's Abraham's response? Uh, Basically, verse 24, uh, around that verse, basically Abraham and his son, well, and Ishmael, and then everybody around was circumcised. We're told that Abraham and Ishmael were circumcised that very day. In other words, after this conversation of God and Abraham, God leaves Abraham, and then Abraham, uh, Abraham is circumcised. In other words, an expression of his commitment uh, to God. So, just in closing, two key verses. God sees you. We know that from the conversation with Hagar. But also verse 17, uh, chapter 17, 1 and 2. I think it speaks to us today. Walk before God so that he can honor his commitment to us. You may not keep your New Year's resolutions, but this is a commitment, a resolution, a covenant that God has made with us, and he will honor it. Thank you for your attention today.